So this book broke your heart, huh? Did this book break your heart? More important question. This book would have left me uh, a blubbering mess if I had read it when I was in high school. So... What is this book? But tell me what book we're talking about before and we go And who are any we? Further. And why are we talking to each other at all? <laughs> uh, this is a podcast called Pizza Toast. I am Christy. I am Phil. And we like to talk about uh, middle grade and YA novels targeted toward girls and the adaptations thereof. Yep. And it's funny how really... we kind of backed into that. I, I was thinking about the fact that that wasn't what we started as, but then we were like, this is our shtick. <laughs> I think it was around the time we ran out of Babysitter's Club adaptations. Yeah. Like, well, well, what do you, what's the natural pivot from there? Pants? Pants yeah. books? <laughs> and and thus, a, thus a new theme was born. Uh, I do think it feels like this wasn't intentional. This whole arc of this podcast was just leading up to me making you read Stargirl, I'm pretty sure. Like, the, this was well, the long-term goal. It's wild because our previous two books, Shrinking Violet and, uh, and whatchamacall, uh, Moxie. Moxie, I suggested those together because they kind of reflect each other. They're mm-hmm. they're roughly about the same, the same basic concept, a high school girl leading something of a rebellion or a revolution, however inadvertently. I was not expecting Mo- uh, a Stargirl girl to come along at your mm-hmm. request and sort of round out the trilogy of of high school revolutions however star girl is a revolution that is begun and ended in a very different way yeah so this is a book that was enormously well regarded at the time it came out uh this is released in uh the year 2000 it was a like all of the starred reviews all of like the best books of the year the best ya novels and i think it's largely been forgotten mm-hmm. since then minus them making a couple adaptations of it which i am so curious to watch yeah. because i am sure they are not good because uh, as i read this book i was like this is unadaptable i one of the first pieces I wrote and published somewhere, uh, and it was like a self-publishy thing, was about how you can't adapt Stargirl. I wrote that in like 2010. And I agree with younger Christy, this is not a book that is ripe for adaptation. This book would make an easier adaptation as a ballet than it would as a... (laughs) A narrative film, I believe, because it is so bizarre and subjective. And it's like it's like Lolita for teens in a way, like one young man's very narrow perception of another human being. Yes. And him trying to better understand this person that he simply cannot. Right. And he fails to. And his adult self is reckoning with that. And that's why we get to read this book. Because I, I'm i going to say the narrator writes like he's in his 40s or 50s. Oh, yeah. Uh, at least. Uh, and he is looking back and trying to reconcile how he behaved around this girl. And he doesn't really come out feeling great about it. But that's no. like a that is also an interpretation thing, right? Like that is how I read this book. Yeah, it fits. It nests well in the like young reader subgenre of books that just kind of make you feel bad, like. <laughs> First person narratives that just kind of make you go, ugh. Like, I was thinking of uh, Beverly Cleary's Dear Mr. Henshaw when I read this, which has a similar narrative voice of just high school age boy who just, things are overwhelming and confusing and every step he 
every move he makes is kind of in the wrong direction, but not because he's a bad person, but just because what do you expect? He's a teenager. Leo uh, is the narrator of this book, Leo Borlock, universally fantastically named characters mm-hmm. in this book. I, I've always enjoyed them. They're one of the, everything about this book has stuck in my head because I've read it so many times. Like I, yeah. I knew beat for beat when you were going to be most upset. <laughs> and I was already feeling like I, I had a lot of empathy for you because I too, was upset all over again at the same moments but i I, i'm gonna have probably have trouble talking about it which is ironic because this is definitely the book i know best of anything we've ever covered but i think it's just i think it's so beautiful and so sad and it's not taking advantage of uh it making you feel bad yeah right but it doesn't it, <laughs> it makes you feel bad it doesn't dwell in its bad feeling it's not it's not a lurleen mcdaniel novel which is supposed to <laughs> just make you feel terrible about the world it's right yeah it's it's very it's very realistically portrayed also weirdly spinelli lapses not lapses but you will be reading just a basic description and then there will be a paragraph that continues the description that will be poetry. Will just be the most fluid, poetic, and then it will just go back into sort of contemporary voice. But I was amazed at times at just how lovely, like, which which lends it to feel like this was written by an older man looking back Mm -hmm. at his life because it it has that feel of like, I am coloring my perception of the past with beautiful language. Yeah, that was something that struck me so much more reading it as an adult than as a teen, because when you're reading it as a teenager, as I did over and over again, you latch on to very different things about it and i can understand why kirkus and publishers weekly and the new york times loved this book because it is so lyrical and it is so poetic while also balancing a very uh real world narrative i would say like very much like star girl's not real but this kind of shunning that occurs in this book (laughs) Very, very much real. is and that's uh, like i think that's what you latch on to as a kid as an adult is like it is really incredible that he was able to thread the needle between pretty standard ya storyline and this man writing his like a like a book of basically blank verse yeah i want to i want to read this is, this is a paragraph that stopped me short uh it's nearest the ending this is just this is a, a description of a character who has never appeared in the book as he is led onto the dance floor by one of our main characters. Yeah, I, read is, the, I read this one I, last night. I love this description. It says, To the student body at large, Raymond Studemacher did not have enough substance to trigger the opening of a supermarket door. He belonged to no team or organization. He took part in no school activities. His grades were ordinary. His clothing was ordinary. His face was ordinary. He had no detectable personality. Thin as a minute, he appeared to lack the heft to carry his own name. And in fact, when all eyes turned to him on the dance floor, those few who came up with a name for him frowned at his white jacket and whispered, Raymond something. That is such an, just just a laser precise description of a character while also being very florid and very beautiful way to describe someone who just has no impact on anyone. I was just astounded. I was like, I can't believe this is, I just, I couldn't believe the writing at times. Yeah. Uh, mine is, I don't have it marked, so I can't read it. But early on in the book, when you're starting to realize that Leo has some depth or is at least projecting depth onto his teenage self, he's talking about how the moonlight hits his bed 
when mm-hmm. he's asleep at night and how it feels like it's just for him. And it is so not a teenage boy sentiment, uh, <laughs> but it fits in, it folds in really well with where he is at that point in the book, which is he is absolutely enchanted by this girl. This book, by the way, is about a girl who goes by Star Girl. Mm-hmm. She has also gone by Pocket Mouse. And Holy Gully in the past, but has settled on Stargirl for the last few years. And it takes place in a small Arizona town. I've never been to Arizona, but I feel like I have now. Right. <laughs> Apparently it has uh, uh, semi-sentient saguaros. And uh, and I know for a fact it has sunburned old men living in the desert dispensing wisdom. Because I lived in New Mexico for a while. And trust me, those guys exist. <laughs> I love Archie. I love yeah. the characters in this book. I, I love Hillary Kimball. I love everybody here. They're all like even the ones who are written to be the most terrible. I have so much empathy for because he doesn't make anyone into a villain, even as they shun this girl. Like he's very uh, yeah. Like broad strokes, tell me the story of this book. So as as shrinking violet was about uh, a girl in school who finds her voice and uh, moxie was about a, a girl in high school who helps others find their voices uh, however inadvertently this story is about a girl who just naturally has her own voice and just kind of the way that reverberates around a a sort of run of the mill high school in as you said a small town in arizona this girl star girl shows up she's a homeschool kid who's been a around town like she has a presence mm-hmm. um like, because archie already knows who she is uh and she shows up at this school and is so much her own person and and extremely her own person she plays the ukulele she serenades people on their birthdays she wears bizarre clothes she doesn't seem to have any social awareness or social graces uh how that invites scorn from the students until she becomes a cheerleader and leads the basketball team to its first victories, which then makes her become a celebrity at school until her outgoing personality and her desire to cheer for both teams seems to coincide with the team losing, however much it might be their own fault and their own big heads, which causes the school to turn against her again. And then how she manages to find their sympathy again. And by that point, she and the narrator who has a relationship with her have had a weird falling out and how he kind of watches this split as she as she is brave enough to be who she is and he is not brave enough to be with someone who is that much who they are. I know it's not making much sense, but this book is so lyrical and almost it's so heavy and also slight that. This is a girl you said last episode. I I don't remember if we said it on air or if you just said it to me that you were like she is a bit of a manic pixie dream girl in a way. Yeah. Except that well, explain what a manic pixie dream girl is. So this was a term that was coined by Nathan Rabin many, many years ago. He uh, despises that he has coined this term. It's kind of a thorn in his side now, but he's an excellent uh, film and television critic and movie critic, whatever. He used this to describe, I believe it is Kirsten Dunst's character in Elizabethtown. Yeah. And this is the character who is um, a beautiful, spunky girl who's I guess like giant scare quotes around this weird because that can cover everything Mm. and she's the girl that opens the sleepy eyed uh, run of the mill male character's eye
eyes to what the world could be if he fell in love with her and like skipped around playgrounds with her and things of that ilk. Maybe maybe visited a funeral home and slept in a coffin. (laughs) You don't know. But it is a trope that we saw a lot, I think, particularly in the mid to late 2000s. This is prior to that. Uh, It really took off in movies. Garden State, Elizabethtown, both being uh, probably the best examples of this. But Stargirl is before that. Mm -hmm. And Stargirl would fit that mold if it weren't so genuine. And like her character, we never truly know her. Right. But at the same time, we feel like we know everything about her. And part of Rabin's original definition of Man at Pixie Dream Girl was that they have no interior life. They exist solely to inspire the male protagonist. Whereas Stargirl, even though we don't get to know her that well, clearly has an interior life clearly has her own thoughts and feelings we simply aren't privy to them because this is a first person narrative not from her perspective and i feel like it's almost commenting on a trope that hadn't been defined yet right there it's like ahead of its time is such a cliche that almost to the point it almost means nothing but it kind of is yeah, uh, I think I think I referred to this book as Jim Henson's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind Babies. Uh <laughs> This it explains so much about why I love it that that is like a really good encapsulation of what it is. Uh, I yeah, it's a, it's a like I said, it's a hard it's kind of a hard book for me to talk about because I'm so close to it because uh-huh. reading it felt like coming home to something I hadn't touched it in years. It's one of the few books that I've kept uh, since I originally bought it, just because like I call books a lot, I read a lot of books, I buy a lot of books, I have to get rid of a lot of. Yeah. And this is one that makes the cut every time. Interestingly enough, Love Stargirl, the sequel, almost hasn't made the cut multiple times, but I can't bear to part the two of them, even though that book is lacking in ways uh, you will understand as soon as we read it. Uh, but. What's interesting is that Spinelli, he didn't get a book published until 82 when he was 41. And then he Just... and he had a bunch of books between then and Maniac McGee in 90. But that was his big like, oh, this guy is going to be a this guy is a young staple. And then. Yeah. 10 years later, he gets Stargirl, which is another like milestone in in young reader literature. Uh, Did you have a relationship with Spinelli's books before Stargirl? Had you read Maniac McGee? No, I've read other books of his. I've never read Maniac McGee. I can't say like I couldn't tell you why. Like it seems like I should have. I've read some of his books that were targeted toward younger readers, but I read them after Stargirl. Yeah. Went back and caught up. The only one I had read before Stargirl, and I'm still amazed they're the same author but at the same time of course they are is crash which is about a seventh grade boy crash coogan who realizes that there's more to life than being popular yeah (laughs) and and it's a that's a very endearing book i think that one was read out loud to one of my classes in elementary school and credit to that teacher in retrospect because it's not spinelli's most like that's not like his seminal work but it is a great book yeah this is a obviously my favorite and i think it's the probably the best thing he's done but i can't i've not read his catalog exhaustively 
Have you read Maniac McGee? I have never read a Jerry Spinelli book. The book that I was most familiar with from working in a bookstore was Ringer. Uh, we would get tons of copies of Ringer, and it was a it and Maniac McGee are like his two Newbery winners. Yeah. Uh, strangely enough, Stargirl didn't win the Newbery, or I guess Ringer was a Newbery honor book, and Maniac McGee won the Newbery. But uh, mm-hmm. but Ringer has the creepiest cover of all time. It's like I've this, never seen it. It's like this boy who looks like he's about to confront death. There's a shadow of a bird on him. Ringer, it looks like it's written almost in blood, and it says, "Not all birthdays are welcome." And just and just uh, <laughs> just looking at the vague plot description here on this kids.kitty.co or <laughs> is. Ten-year-old, uh, a young boy named Palmer lives in a town called Waymer, which celebrates an annual pigeon day by releasing pigeons from crates to be shot in the air. When the book opens, the town's 63rd annual pigeon day is intended to raise money for the city's playground. Ten-year-old boys in Waymer can accept the honor of picking up the wounded birds that have not yet died from a gunshot wound and wringing their necks to, quote, put the pigeons out of their misery. No! So, that is the premise of this book. I assume you're called a ringer then. Uh... <laughs> Yep, yep. Uh, you had a, He's pressured to become a ringer, the boys who ring the necks of pigeons. So Spinelli isn't a, a, a stranger to very, very hard subjects. Mm-hmm. And it feels like Stargirl is basically a person who has honed their craft of writing about difficult childhood subjects by not beating you over the head with them, by kind of just letting them wash over you. I, sorry, I was a little distracted there. I just put Ringer on hold at the library. <laughs> it is very important that I read this book as soon as I possibly can. It sounds bonkers. It's going to go it'll... into your, your pile of books about breaking the necks of animals. It's like a little, it's a short <laughs> stack, but it's it, but it's hard. That's a, that's a Goodreads tag that I'm often <laughs> clicking on because it's something I'm so into that I got it. This is not a, I promise it's not something I'm actually into. I promise. No, of course, but, of course not. Yeah. So Stargirl. It's a, it make, it, like a ring that yes that is an absolutely bonkers plot description as i said makes sense makes sense that he would write that that sounds like a premise he would come up with but you get what i say when i say like he he gets kind of this book is so heavy star girl not ringer mm-hmm. i assume ringer is heavy star girl okay. is so heavy because but it still manages to not feel like well as, as, as you said like it's not one of those books that's just there to make kids go like yeah this is a heavy book like mm-hmm. you're supposed to fall in love with these characters you're supposed to know what it feels like to fall in love for the first time to be an outcast to be that weird thing where you're related like where you're associated with the outcast who's your friend and you don't know how to respond to that and 99% of the time you make the wrong choice yeah. and and uh and yeah this book made me feel all all different kinds of ways yeah it's it's very good at doing that uh and also it doesn't there you don't really feel like you're having knee-jerk reactions to it because it does wash over you in such a way i think you only realize after you finish the book where it's like oh that that made me feel all of the things (laughs) uh i'm gonna talk about leo for a second or rather like how little we actually know about leo himself leo borlock who first appeared in who put that hair in my toothbrush by jerry spinelli oh Uh, the first appearance of leo borlock he's only mentioned but he's mentioned as the person in town who everyone goes to for advice which is interesting fair enough like it makes you wonder if that's supposed to be the same leo borlock or if spinelli was just like this is a solid name (laughs) 
Uh, it is a really good name. Uh, got a lot of solid names here. We got you got Dory Dilson, who mm-hmm. is Star Girl's only loyal friend at the end yep. of the day. Who we learn uh, nothing about. No, Dory is there to be Star Girl's friend, and that is it. And she seems happy to do that. She seems happy to uh, pedal Star Girl to the Ocotillo Ball in a <laughs> like a a sidecar. Yeah. Well, wearing um, a pristine white tuxedo. Right. Who is this? Yeah, we don't know anything it's about this. Just a this. girl. It's just is a girl named Dory uh, Leo is 16. Yep. He has parents, presumably, but we know nothing about them. Right. Yeah, you never find out about his I parents. didn't think of this until we were just about to start talking. Uh, like, uh, Mostly because we read so many books and watch so many movies and TV shows for this where relationships with parents are a crucial element. Yeah. And this is the most they've ever been skated over in anything. Yeah, we, there is one adult in this book. No, two. Yep. There is there is Archie, and then there is mm-hmm. like the teacher who helps them run their closed circuit TV show, and uh, Mr. McShane who takes them to the uh, speech competition. Oh, you're right. You're right. I forgot those are different. People. They, they, they're two different people, but they basically don't have to be. Right. It's just two two uh, middle aged men, and Star Girl has parents. But again, all we know about Star Girl's parents is normal. That's like, yeah. We don't need to know anything else about them. Which isn't which, as you said, does not feel like a, an absence. You don't. No. miss these characters because they are not important to the story uh, the only yeah. people who are really important are star girl leo archie and then the collective student body yeah of and kind Mike of Aaron leo's friend who's leo's friend kevin kevin uh, kevin's a he's not quite a throwaway character because he does have a personality because his function is to be sort of leo's anchor to the real world yeah and he's a very stereotypical like teen boy but not not gross like he's just kind of a stock boy yeah but there is still something to him which is he likes leo and is loyal to leo and he wants to help leo continue belonging and that is not a that is, that is both good and bad so the reason i mentioned at the top that you know that star girl was a, a revolutionary character and you you had said like is you know like you had mentioned to me that this is a book about rebellion and at first i i was like this isn't really about rebellion because she's almost she's not passive she's very active but she's not trying to lead any kind of rebellion Mm -hmm. Uh, she doesn't seem aware of the fact that she is rebelling at all Mm -hmm. Uh, but as i read further and further into the book i was like oh this is about like fomenting change creating a movement uh but not by using words simply by example simply by just saying i will i will behave in a certain way and if enough people notice it they will begin behaving that way too strangely it reminds me of the emperor's new groove because (laughs) elaborate john goodman's character pacha and this is my favorite thing about the emperor's new groove john goodman's character pacha in the emperor's new groove changes the main character changes his out look changes his behavior changes his his relationship with people not by never lecturing him but simply by behaving as a decent human relentlessly in front of him he treats him with respect and treats everyone with respect so much that the emperor by the end learns to behave that way and it's the only disney movie i can think of where that's ever happened where there's no Mm -hmm. speeches about being a better person you simply watch a person be a good person and stargirl is the same way she treats everyone in the school as if they are 
of equal status. She treats everyone in the school as if their life is as important as anyone else's. Uh, they all des- you, Everyone deserves to have happy birthday sung to you. Everyone deserves to have their accomplishments celebrated. If it's an A on a test, winning a game, picking, you know, picking up a pencil on the ground, she will be there to celebrate it. And at first, she's the weirdo, but eventually the other students start joining in because it it's just this momentum she's so relentless that you're like well maybe this is a good way to be like maybe this is maybe this is maybe this is a constructive way to behave and it'll make everyone's life better and the only one she doesn't do this for is leo as we find but we'll find out why later yeah (laughs) yeah i'm just uh i'm sitting with this for a second (laughs) she also dresses strangely she dresses strangely because her mother is a costume designer yeah and leo at the end of the book says he's a set designer of detail i'd forgotten yeah that's wonderful it is it's really nice she's never she never intends to be a revolutionary she is anyway yeah uh and she can't fight that she tries to suppress it for a while because a big part of the arc of this book is after she is shunned leo and with the aid of kevin is trying to convince her you can't do these things you can't be this way and this is after he's seen how like for lack of a better word magical it is to be this way like he's a he spent enough time with her to like see oh dropping a penny on the sidewalk will light up the face of a child eventually yeah. uh oh this is the kind of card i would give this person who is uh doing like who who seems to be doing not so well uh this is the scrapbook i'm making for this five-year-old across the street of all of his everyday moments uh leo starts seeing the value in this but at the same time is so weighed down by the expectations of being a high school student mm-hmm uh that he suppresses her by like sheer force of her being in love with him because she is in she is hopelessly devoted to leo she is like she develops a crush on him from afar it's clear that she already has one by the time she starts paying attention to him and he feels extremely lucky right up until he doesn't it's really sad i would say that he he also convinces her to change or to try to change Mm -hmm. simply by giving her a new vocabulary it's kind of that that thing of like if you don't have a word for unhappiness then there is no unhappiness Mm -hmm. if if you don't know that this is a way to be it's simply a brief respite between periods of happiness Mm -hmm. Uh, she does not know that she is behaving oddly to the student body she does uh, you know analyze her as you will uh, you know they, they don't ever go deep into like what might be going on in her head she simply has a different outlook uh he tells her people see you as weird and this is not the way people behave and she responds almost like a almost i, I hesitate to say like a computer or like an ai but it is that it's like an alien almost like mm-hmm. like brother from another planet or the man who fell to earth it's like no 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 this is not the way society works and the person's like but it's working i'm i'm happy and everyone seems happy around me and you're like no but that's not that's not the way people are supposed to behave and you're and then she's like oh well then tell me how i'm supposed to behave and then mm-hmm. she tries it out now you do get the sense that 
she's trying it out to such an extreme almost to make a point like her naivete i don't think extends as far as leo thinks it extends Mm -hmm. i think she's a lot smarter than he gives her credit for in the narration i also think there are times when the ways she shows how smart she is should be obvious to leo but he is so enchanted by her that he he almost wants to believe that she is like this this nympha Mm -hmm. (laughs) this like this child almost like the time my absolute favorite passage in the book is one of the first times he has spent time with her alone uh he's marveling at her broadly and she's telling her him more and more about like this this is her talking about the scrapbook like kid who lives across the street uh who she's been documenting all his life uh seeing like what are the everyday things that happen to him that his parents wouldn't necessarily take pictures of she says like wouldn't you be thrilled if you got this book later in life and then uh she accuses him after leo questions this like why would you do this this is not a thing that you need to do she accuses him like coyly flirtatiously of being jealous yep then he he makes a joke about like are you running for saint and she's very hurt by that for a second then she has the coy response then uh the chapter closes with that was no saint kissing me and it's so like it uh i love a good ya kiss right and this is not that <laughs> this is just an incredibly romantic moment uh between two people who are just like people not kids who are very much in love and then they will never reach that peak ever again <laughs> by not describing the kiss really and by simply saying that was no saint who kissed me that invoked more feelings of my first kiss than any YA kiss we've read so far Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. that's that feeling of just like I've just leveled up in life (laughs) exactly like he prior to this again we don't know that much about Leo no we can presume he hasn't had a girlfriend because he's never felt like or he's never had a girlfriend he cared about (laughs) right I mean I assume that he's a you know average I assume he's you know kissed a girl before probably yes but he's never felt this and it's like it's like he's experiencing like the intoxicating feeling of being cared about and really caring about someone for the first time and it just keeps getting interrupted by how weird she is and yeah. moreover how mean people are to her because of this it's wild it's almost as if she was whenever anyone Im- talks about how important fred rogers is to the world and you see them like sharing fred rogers quotes and fred rogers clips and then as as we all do, aggressively not behaving like Fred Rogers. <laughs> I'm always just like, yeah, it's easy to it's easy to talk the talk, but to walk the walk is is hard because it will get you weird looks. It will get you people will think you are weak. They will think you are strange. They will think that uh, that un that unfiltered compassion is a fool's game and that you're betraying the tribe. Essentially, you are if you're not taking sides, if you're not bad mouthing the people who don't agree with you or who aren't like you, you're doing something wrong. She is walking the Fred Rogers path brilliantly she is behaving like a mr rogers acolyte to the nth degree and it is getting that response people are mean to her because for the for the crime of simply considering everyone's feelings wanting everyone to feel important and rooting for the other team because she can't see divisions in teams like it doesn't make any sense to her and the reason like i i don't think we really need to talk about beyond the broad strokes story like the explanation you gave. The reason I don't know that we really need to talk about 
why people turn on her is because it doesn't matter. It just happens. Like there mm-hmm. is an impetus that they can all latch on to and decide she is not good for us anymore. And, and it makes the reader culpable in that because yes. in our heads, we are like, that would, pro- I, I I can't say that I would be on Stargirl's side. Mm-hmm. Like I can't honestly say as a, as a teenager, if she walked into my high school, yeah, I'd probably sit there and make jokes about her with my friends yeah. because I wouldn't know how to respond to this person. Mm-hmm. And when I say like the, this collective student body is kind of a character unto itself, it's because every once in a while, Leo will switch from I to we to talk yeah. about the character of the school and it's a subtle thing but it happens a few times it's when uh it's talking about how once they win the one game the one basketball game uh the crowd behaves differently people start attending the games and he's talking about how they are experts at booing he says mm-hmm. we booed it's as though we booed for our entire lives like we've been preparing the, for this it's it, the, like it, this crowd it's easy to identify with them because like you said this feels like what would be the natural reaction like in part it you have this avatar in hillary kimball who mm-hmm. is the most popular girl in school and hates star girl right from the jump like she hates her she doesn't want the order disturbed right and the things star girl does are weird like uh the like the conclusion to all of that is at this school dance that leo doesn't take star girl to but star girl uh gets her sort of redemption by the student body at this by leading a bunny hop that goes through several uh several like far afield <laughs> locations <laughs> when they loop back to the dance floor uh hillary kimball approaches star girl says you ruin everything and slaps her across the face and like rears back as if she's expecting a like a punch and Stargirl kisses her on the cheek and we never see Stargirl again. It's, it's literally amazing. the end of her story. <laughs> she is literally the Christ figure at this point. <laughs> Except she's doing the kissing. She uh, does the kissing. Yeah. She is she is her own Judas. <laughs> no, it's it's so I wrote to you uh, when I was about halfway through or maybe a little further than halfway through. And I said, this book feels like weird fiction to me. <laughs> I read a lot of weird fiction, not all horror, some just sci-fi, but weird fiction for, for listeners is is uh, uh, not even a genre. It's a it's a it's a milieu in which you are simply trying to evoke feelings of dread or discombobulation or just a sense that something is terribly wrong wrong but you can't put your finger on it in your reader mm-hmm. uh and and the, the idea is that you never explain it you would never you never want your reader to come to any like realization about why they feel this way or why the environment seems so threatening uh i'm thinking of like algernon blackwood's the willows i'm thinking of like just a half a dozen you know classics uh sci-fi horror stories i was reading this and i it there is a sense of dread throughout this book for me because mm-hmm. I kept, I knew the other shoe was going to drop, but it wasn't just that. It was the description. I felt like I was on another planet half the time. Like the poetic language, the description of Stargirl, she's almost like an otherworldly being who passes through the school. She's like a, she's like a, a, a an old god or something who's like influence you just feel. And, and, and Leo doesn't go out of the way to like dispel that notion. Like he describes yeah. her in these almost mythic tones without, without romanticizing 
humanizing her. And that's, I think, why it felt so weird, because, like, it didn't feel like guy who puts girl on pedestal. It felt like human who is upset and confused by a force of nature they cannot fathom. And even when they get to know this force of nature, they end up rejecting it because it is just too much. And only later in life, it has that sort of feeling of just like, like I'm writing these words now so that you know like what happened on that day so that you can understand like why my life is this way. Except he doesn't seem to be doing bad. No, but... he, the, only, the only thing, there's like one wistful line about how he has no family of his own. Right. And that's the other thing. It almost feels like the end of the end of uh, 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 the Green Mile. <laughs> when you go through this whole thing and the John Coffey has been there and he's a magical man. Mm-hmm. And then the whole plot happens. And at the end, Tom Hanks is like, or not even Tom, the narrator is like, <laughs> oh, no, he didn't give us a gift. He gave us a curse. Like, we're all cursed for having known him. Mm-hmm. Like, because because we betrayed him. So this wasn't a cool story. This is a story of a, of a beautiful soul who we betrayed and who has left us broken. And I kind of felt that way where he's like, I don't have a family. I'm like, oh, no. Like, as wonderful as it was that she passed through his life, like, he his his betrayal of her and he does betray her like he he cuts off contact with her because he's too embarrassed by her even in the face of her being embraced by the school again his betrayal of her has now marked him for the rest of it like even people who don't know where he came from are like i feel like that guy may have betrayed a star girl at some point The same way that uh, that you can talk about a radio rebel, you could talk about a star girl. But I would I would argue that star girls are r- more rare than radio star girl. Rebels. If in MTV Celebrity Deathmatch, Star Girl versus Radio Rebel, Star Girl would come out on top. Absolutely, she would. Uh, I'm talking about like the shoe drop factor. Yeah. The shoe drops multiple times, and mm-hmm. I think that makes it a harder read. I would never call this a hard read because I can read it uh, like read it a thousand more times, and I would be just as it would feel just as good and content afterward every time but uh the part that i was putting off finishing my reread because of the speech competition Mm -hmm. and i knew what that was going to do to me and i knew how sad i was going to be because during her rise to fame within the school star girl enters a speech competition and this is pretty loosely defined like this doesn't feel like a real thing i guess it could be forensics i guess it could be yeah something but she delivers a speech at like a qualifier and it is greeted with like thunderous applause because she's an incredible storyteller which is not surprising leo never describes what she actually says in these speeches he'll name a few things that she jumped around to doesn't seem like they have through lines and that's part of what makes her so enchanting to watch so she moves up in the ranks uh it's sort of at the like it's it's in the background that this is happening but in one of the periods when she and leo are very close she goes to the like national competition mm-hmm. or the statewide something probably the statewide because statewide uh, yeah national would be a uh, really difficult to drive to and they definitely drive right. to this and she knows she'll be presented with a silver plate if she wins and she's had a vision that she's going to win and when she comes back to the school parking lot having been victorious everyone is going to greet her and uh, lift her above their heads it's gonna, just going to be an incredible celebration and she wins and only dory dilson is there when she gets back and maybe one or two teachers and i knew this was coming and i also knew that after that leo would uh, she and leo would like disintegrate 
great. Uh, after that, she becomes Stargirl again. She's had this brief period of pretending to be normal, but no, no, now she's Stargirl again. And that's when things end between her and Leo. Yeah. So it marks like also, like maybe the saddest thing that happens to her and then a thing that would make her even sadder. Right. It's, it's also a good reminder at that point that she is a child. Mm-hmm. That, she genuinely yeah. believes that this will there will be a great celebration. And in the notes at the back of the book, uh, in the in the original paperback, um, Jerry Spinelli dedicated the book to Sonny Liston. Mm. Is one of the dedications. And one of the questions they pose is a very normal question in this interview with him. Could choose to have dinner with anyone in the world. Who would you choose and why? And Lauren Isley, who's a late anthropologist and poet, uh, and then the late Sonny Liston. So Isley, because he's often the answer when he's asked who is, uh, like, who Spinelli's favorite writer is. Okay. The more important one. On the way home to St. Louis after winning the heavyweight title, Sonny Liston looked forward to a hero's welcome, looked forward to receiving affection from the people who had regarded him as a hoodlum and a monster when he stepped off the plane not a soul was there to greet him it broke his heart i'd like to ask him about that day i'd like to dump a teacup of confetti on his head oh jerry spinelli is a man who feels things very deeply yeah you can tell <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's a lot going on there there's a there, there's a lot going on in his big beautiful brain that makes me very happy it makes you and and it's amazing that the book never feels like a book that's a man working through some things even if it might be right i just like, I don't think about Leo when I think about this book. Uh-huh. I think about what Leo experienced, which we, which is to say, I think about Stargirl. Yeah. And I think well, there's it, a reason like, it's I, called Stargirl. Yeah, it's a book called Stargirl. Uh, it has the best cover design that any book has ever had. Describe the cover design. The cover design is like, it's this nice teal-leaning blue, and there's a yellow star, and then there's a green stick figure drawing. And it just has his name in, in like, kind of an offset yellow. And it's raised... Yeah. which cost them more money. I can tell you that. I know that. <laughs> but it's so effective just to look at it because you know what this is. You know everything about this book. I remember seeing this book before I actually read it and being really struck by the cover design. Uh, not a thing I cared about that much when I was in my early teens. But now I look at it and I'm like, yeah, that kind of tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> it's amazing. It's such an iconic cover. It's like the cover of the original paperback of Carrie. Like you see right. it and you're, and you're hit by this image because it uh, i don't know if you mentioned it doesn't say star girl anywhere nope, it's it, just the it's just the symbols it's just, it's the, just the, the star and, and the girl and that's how she signs her name at one point in the book uh i listened to this book on audio uh which was read by john ritter and if you have a chance to listen to it read by the late great john ritter you should because he's the perfect voice for leo as an older man yeah i'm and planning on this once you told me that i was so like i was so intrigued by how that would go i knew it i knew it had to be good at the very yeah. least when you get to that moment where she assigned the letter with a star and a stick figure of a girl and i was like well how is he gonna how do you pull this off like an audio <laughs> format right and unfortunately he has to go and she had signed the letter a star and a stick figure of a girl and i was like oh <laughs> Oh, no, it really lacks that like punch of just seeing the drawings in the book uh, because that symbol is so it's almost like a hieroglyph or like a, a cave drawing like it's primal. There's something that's very just like there's something that's very like animal part of the brain about her signing her identity that way. Sure. Like, it's just like boom, boom, boom. Sure. I, I don't know why there's I mean, you just said like you only think about Stargirl when you think about this book. And I'm like, yeah, it's like when I think about when I think about certain points of my childhood, I don't think about where I was in the room. I think about where the people I found fascinating were in the room. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a I'm 
very mildly distracted because uh, they're doing construction on a building near mine, and the desk is literally shaking on my computer <laughs> right now. And it's, you can pretend it, you're shaking over your feelings for Stargirl. Yeah, and I'm doing it rhythmically, like every. It's like it's a very consistent beat. Uh, it does do the Jurassic Park thing to glasses full of water. And I discovered this earlier, much sorry tonight. Like, uh, I mean, it is. There's a little bit of the. What if this entire building falls down because of this other building apprehension? But then also the water thing much like star girl does the jurassic park thing of making you realize you don't respect nature enough <laughs> oh she loves enchanted places she talks about how in iceland the, there are so many like little moments in this book that if there were just one of them in a different book that is the only thing you would talk about in it and right. archie is like the doc brown of we the didn't story. even even yeah. talked about Archie. i was just like, like we haven't even mentioned archie who's this old man who lives in the desert and he used to be a scientist he was a paleontologist. He was a like, paleontologist. It, he still yeah. is. Yeah. And he has a club. Like any kids who want to come can just come dig for fossils with him. And he lectures and teaches and kids go voluntarily to this class that this old man teaches uh, to learn bone. about. They call it the loyal order of the, the stone, stone bone. And they yeah. have necklaces that have fossils on it. I would have. This, I would have eaten this up as a kid. I would eat <laughs> yeah. this up as an adult. Like, if I knew this guy now, I would be thrilled. And Leo, actually, one of the things... One of the things that makes me think he's a very good man at the end of the book, because... I don't like how he treats Stargirl, obviously. I understand why he does, but it's it's a real bummer. He ends up looking not good, and he acknowledges that. But at the end of the story, in his reflecting on all of this, you find out that he visited Archie, continued to visit Archie, until Archie's death. And then I cried. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the, the, that's that's kind of the, the moment, moment in the book that got me now as an adult. Yeah. I was like, I wouldn't have, I would have been affected by this as a kid, but I would have been more affected by the kids stuff. Mm -hmm. That's the moment where I was like, yeah, as you said, Leo is a fantastic human being Yeah, for remembering like, just, and the poetic, I don't know, just this, the carrot, you having the guts as a children's book writer to take the time with two adults and mm -hmm. saying like the end of this person's life was important enough that I'm including it in this book. That's not about him. But because yeah. you're probably wondering whatever happened to him, I'm going to take you through to the end of his life. I was just like, how respectful to a child who's reading this book. And Archie is a huge figure in Stargirl's life. And we mm -hmm. find that out because she's homeschooled, right? Up until the, the point she goes to the school. So her mother more or less like got sick of her just often enough that she would drop uh, Stargirl off at Archie's. And this is why Stargirl knows a lot about unusual things because she spent yeah. a ton of time with him. Also, this is where her office was. Like she wouldn't tell Leo where she made the cards for everyone, where she was scrapbooking, uh, how like how she kept track of everyone's birthdays. But during one of his visits with Archie, Leo finally gets to see the office. And that also is a moment that really gets me that there's one dot of color on this entire year of birthdays calendar and it's a heart next to Leo's name. Yeah. And that Archie has preserved this room. Yeah. He's like, done nothing to it. He's left it exactly how it was supposed to be. And also like after we learn that Archie has died, this is Leo closing the loop as an adult on the story. Like the story starts, the book starts with one of the only named chapters, like with a prologue called Porcupine Necktie. Yeah. It's about how he's obsessed with his uncle's pork, silk porcupine decorated necktie as a kid. And he 
says he is a collector of these, but it was a collection of one (laughs) until there was some profile of him in like the local paper that mentioned he collected them. And then the number increases because he gets one in the mail and has no idea where it came from. Obviously, it was Stargirl. This is determined later in the narrative, but obviously it's her. And the very last thing we're told at the end of the book is that he has received another porcupine necktie. Yes. Yes. And this is after finding out that once Stargirl, she literally disappears. Her family moves. Her family moves away after the dance. And he has not heard from her. I guess he can't be in his 50s because he says he hasn't heard from her in 15 years. He hasn't. It's been 15 years and I haven't seen Stargirl. So he's like 30 something he's early 30s then he's too smart to be that old but okay yeah go on <laughs> uh, but you know math aside he yeah. uh she has not been a part of anyone's life as far as we right. know uh, but but she left an impression on the school her her even though people don't really remember her they remember this presence and her influence remains as part of like the way people treat each other at the school it it, it, it continues on that's the other weird fiction thing to me is like this this entity that has moved through and influenced things and influences things still without people realizing it uh Mm -hmm. but he he makes this point it's yeah it's this very melancholy end it kind of reminds me of like a john irving novel almost where like the story ends and then john irving's like and now i'm gonna tell you how everyone dies (laughs) and you're like no i don't want to i don't need to know how uh and this kind of does that a little bit just like but it's you know it ends on a much more upbeat note but yeah he's she is she never stops spying on him it's a little bit like harriet the spy in a way this sort of like girl on the outside who keeps tabs on everybody and then has kind of learns the hard way that by being different you will invite hostility and you can either go along with that or you can be who you are and in both cases the main character the protagonist or you know the, the 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 title character learns or just decides i'm just going to keep being who i am yeah different outcomes for both characters though <laughs> i i really like i i mean i think it's it's maybe telling but maybe not telling at all that all of these are like my favorite books the ones with the, there's like one weird girl at the center of a narrative who didn't necessarily intend to be at the center of a narrative but was anyway <laughs> right and I love them all. They're all they're all my best friends, particularly Stargirl. She's one of my very best friends, and I, I miss her, and I, it was really nice to revisit her. And I was just so happy to have finally read this. I'm like, so glad that, like, I, I, I told you, like, I think full stop, this is probably the best thing we've, we're ever going to talk about on this show, or the best thing we've talked about to date. And I'm counting, like, Roald Dahl and Louis, like, Louis Feetstein as, like, I just really love of this book well i think you're wrong though because oh, you're gonna tell me that shrinking violet is the best thing we've read uh no i'm just gonna say the best thing we covered might be next week because we are <laughs> going to follow up our discussion of star girl with the 20 years later uh disney <sighs> plus movie star girl film directed by julia hart the director of star girl and hollywood star girl but we'll get to that at some other point <laughs> oh uh, yeah i i don't even know what that is and i have oh but like we'll find out me- because we are gonna ride this star girl train to the end <laughs> This will. This is just going to end with me writing a fan letter to Jerry Spinelli. Like this is all. This is all that can happen at this point. Yes. So in our next episode, we will be talking about just kind of how do you adapt a book that is first person narrative, almost completely interior monologue. <laughs> 
tale of a completely subjective experience about an unknowable girl. It's basically the Pickman's model of children's books because how do you show the unshowable? Yes. How do you how do you how do you uh, physically personify the undescribable? This girl yeah. had better be everyone's idea of what Star Girl is, or it's not going to work. Okay. Yes. Can't wait to discuss. The adaptation of the unadaptable next week. Uh, I guess, like, what are we going to say? Okay, uh, Pizza Toast Pod at Twitter. Phil's running it. It's going to be better. Uh, Pizza Toast Pod at Gmail. Got to check that someday. Um, all of the all of the podcast apps. Give us reviews, I guess. I don't know. Do what you want to do. Be a, be a nonconformist. Be don't a even realize you're being yeah. a nonconformist. Oh, I do want to say that th- th- this did inspire a bit of a movement, though. Like, there's star girl clubs at schools because of this book see that i didn't know like star like i knew i had actually heard of that and then i looked into it and like yeah schools have star girl movements like where you are like you are the students are like no we're gonna try to be like star girl like we are going to use her like you read the book and then you're like how can we put how can we use this in our daily life essentially the mr rogers principle but how can we make sure that everyone feels welcome everyone feels like they're important everyone feels like they are as deserving of love and respect as everyone else star girl so star girl keep doing it start your own star girl movement i'm going to and start off by telling people to listen to pizza toast pod (laughs) i'm always telling everybody to that's not true To tell my mom to listen to this episode. She'd be delighted. Uh, yeah, so what are we saying goodbye to? Oh, God. I don't want to say goodbye to Archie. That would be too sad. No, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> never. Uh, say goodbye to your overalls. <laughs> I can't do that, but no, okay. No, you can't. Say goodbye to your ukulele. <laughs> yes. Uh, goodbye, ukulele. <laughs> goodbye, ukulele. <laughs> yeah, if you said goodbye to your overalls, you wouldn't have anything left to wear. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.